Hello and welcome back to the Triple Spiraling Podcast. This is the podcast where I'm taking you through the last year of my life, the breakdown of my body, mind, and soul as just about every part of my life started crumbling and falling apart. And in this part of the podcast, I'm still taking you through what that breakdown really looked like. So this is my story. Um, we are getting very close to the point where I will actually start taking you through the triple spiral body, mind, and soul healing, the tools, the methods, the people, the practices that I really use to heal in so many areas of my life and how I just was able to step forward into this incredible dream that did not seem possible just six months ago. I had this vision of living my life as a digital nomad and being able to travel and explore the world and just (laughs) have what I call the best earthly adventure I possibly can and share my story. And now I'm doing it. And just six months ago, it seemed like this totally crazy faraway dream. And it's so unbelievable um, not unbelievable. It's not unbelievable. That's the best part. It's so amazing that I'm sitting here doing it now and sharing it with you guys. This is a dream come true. So for all of you who are here and have been here along the way, thank you so much. Um, I just, I really hope that in this podcast, you are you know, starting to hear yourself in the stories that I'm telling, even if your journey is not the same as mine, even if the experiences that you've had are not identical to mine, I believe that there are so many human threads that are so similar and just, you know, threads of experience that are common to us all. And that when we let go of the shame and the feeling like I am alone in this, this is a problem with me. And instead recognize that these are just common human patterns that come up in a world that is so detached from the truth of human experience. When we recognize that we're just humans, we're all just humans having a human experience and we can embrace you know, what we've been through and start to heal. And then once we heal, we start to dream and start to see what's possible for us and not just possible, but things that we can actually make our reality. That's when life just gets so good. And I can't wait to take you guys into this phase. Um, So today, on today's episode, we are going to pick up where we left off. Last week, we were going through the breakdown of the soul. The weeks before that, we'd been going through the breakdown of, you know, the the body in terms of the exercise, the nutrition, the body image, and then the breakdown of the mind with uh, mental health and then school and academia and work and money. And then now we're in the last spiral, the spiral of the soul, and we're going through love. Um, and this this past week, I really kind of just gave you guys the background, the previous relationships that I had had before my marriage that really kind of shaped um, what I was stepping into my marriage with, the the themes and the lessons that I'd learned about myself, what I was really seeking in love. Um, and this week, I am going to be sharing with you guys all about my marriage and my separation, as well as some of the lessons that I learned in the therapy that I did before I got 
married. So this is going to be a good one. Um, I'm so ready for this today. Uh, just before we dive into it, I do want to catch you guys up just a bit on where I am now, which is in beautiful Croatia. Um, I'm here for another few weeks, then we're heading to Montenegro, and then coming back to Croatia for another few days in Dubrovnik. So right now I'm still in split Croatia with my sister, and we're doing lots of really amazing, beautiful things here. I just absolutely love, love this place. It is so nice if if you love, you know, just beautiful architecture and beaches and like amazing, gorgeous, sunny weather pretty much every day. <laughs> you know, good food, gelato. Like if you like those things, mm-hmm, you'll probably like it here. It's, it's pretty good. Um, and one thing that's like been kind of interesting to me is just, you know, I thought that like the hard stuff I thought was going to be in getting ready for this trip. I thought that that was going to be the curveball. Um, and I thought that kind of once I got here and settled in and got over the, you know, the jet lag that I would settle in pretty quickly. Like that would be smooth. And the surprising thing was that (laughs) I actually had quite a bit of anxiety the first few days that I was here. Um, I was used to my at home, schedule, my back in British Columbia schedule, where I was, you know, I spent a lot of my days working and thinking about work. And I had so much control over what I was doing in my day to day because I was living alone. And as I'm now here in Croatia and I'm living with my sister right now for this this first month of my digital nomad life, we are traveling together. Um, and my days aren't just based on what I want to do. <laughs> and it took a lot for me to get used to, okay, like how do I build some sort of consistency in my life right now? I want to be able to be this free flowing person who can enjoy the moments of being present with my sister and going for delicious meals and being on the beach and relaxing. But in my mind, I was so concerned with it doesn't feel like I'm working enough. It doesn't feel like I'm doing enough. I'm falling behind. What if, you know, I can't sustain this lifestyle? Like, all of these panicky thoughts were flooding my mind and it took me, you know, the better part of the first week to settle into creating a rhythm for myself that allowed me to relax into this experience. And as we go into the healing journey, I'm really going to share with you some of the big things that helped me create some stability in a time where I actually wanted most of my life to be flowy Like I really want to be present here and I really want to just kind of go with the flow and live life in a way that's not so rigid. Um, But it's not easy to go from like one extreme to another. So there's a lot that I did and implemented that I will be sharing with you guys in the healing portion of this this show in just a few weeks time. But um, for now, just know that yes, Croatia is amazing. We are having so many beautiful adventures. If you want to check out any of the things that we are doing, you can head over to my Instagram. The link is below in the show notes. It's at Triple Spiral Coaching, um, and you'll see all the, all the good stuff, all the beaches, all the food, and all that kind of jazz over there. Um, <laughs> okay, let's let's dive into the good stuff. So we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. So last week, I'd explained sort of the three m- main impactful relationships that I had had. I'd had other dating experiences and other relationships that, you know, just maybe weren't as long lived or as deeply impactful. 
Um, but those were the main three that I kind of um, really, really felt shaped um, how I thought about myself in romantic relationship. Um, so I kind of introduce you guys to the three main people, the wild card, the Mr. California and Mr. Nice Guy. And it was after I, well, it was actually during the relationship with Mr. Nice Guy that I started seeing my first therapist, my first long-term therapist named Thea. And I talked about her before in the show on mental health. And the reason I went to see Thea was more about, um, I was just so overwhelmed with anxiety and stress. And I just, I almost couldn't function in my day-to-day life. This was actually during the period that I I was um, still dating Mr. Nice Guy. Um, But I wasn't going there specifically for relationships. I was going there more for my mental health. I didn't really understand that um, (laughs) these things can be linked. (laughs) They're not completely separate. Um, So as I was seeing Thea, we we started working through some of the issues um, with my work and lack of boundaries, lack of self-worth in general. It became pretty clear that these patterns were also present in my love life and could be pretty easily seen in my relationship with Mr. Nice Guy. Um, so it it was something where, you know, I was so focused on how other people were feeling for, you know, in my work life and in my romantic relationships. I was so focused on the other person um, or the other people that I really didn't know how I truly felt. So as I was in this relationship with Mr. Nice Guy, I didn't know if I wanted to be in it, if I didn't want to be in it. I had no idea how to get in touch with like, how do I really feel? Like, what do I want? My other relationships, like either the, there'd been like a major, major thing happen where it was like, um, yes, I have to break up with this person or they'd broken up with me. I'd, I'd never been in a situation where nothing was going wrong, but it, it didn't feel quite right. And I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, and you can kind of understand, like, if, if you have zero awareness of how you really feel, of course, it's going to be hard to do things like set boundaries and make decisions. If you're not even giving yourself time or space to process your emotions, if you have no way of doing that, then of course, it's going to be really difficult. And one of the other themes that was coming up was that my confidence, my self-esteem and my self-worth was just so low that I was really engaging in these romantic relationships that were providing me with a sense of validation. This validation wasn't coming from within myself. It was coming from the people that I was attaching myself to. So we started to identify, you know, going back with the wild card and with Mr. California, that these were people that I looked at as being like something that was desirable. They were loud, popular, confident, extroverted, whereas I was quiet. I was introverted. I wasn't as confident. And so I was kind of fixing or attaching myself to these people who like made me feel like, okay, well, I'm with him. So I must be those, those things too. Right. Um, so in the relationship with those two, that was kind of the pattern. Whereas with Mr. Nice guy, he admired me. He complimented me. He made me feel special. He like went out of his way. I could just see it in the way that he looked at me. And these were things that I didn't believe about myself, but keeping him close felt really validating. Like it was stroking my ego. Right. 
to have somebody that gave me these affirmations when I didn't believe them about myself. Um, so I wasn't really choosing people that were actually good relationship partners. Like we, it wasn't, it wasn't a true form of intimacy. It was simply that my own self-worth was so low that I was trying to find a way to complete myself. And like, that's, that's not a way to have a romantic relationship and feel good. So it became pretty obvious as we were going through this that, man, I'm just in this relationship with Mr. Nice Guy for the wrong reasons. And I I found through work with Thea that it became clear to me that ending our relationship was the right thing to do. And uh, after, after that happened, um, Thea and I started to do something really important, which was starting to work on my relationship standards, um, what I actually wanted and starting to work on how I could build a sense of self-worth within myself instead of having to go to somebody else to get that. So as we started working through the relationship standards, which is what I'm going to focus on because in the healing portion of this show is where I'm going to go into like, how did I build self-worth? Because truly it was a extremely long process and I'm still working on it. So it wasn't resolved within the context of my relationship with Thea or working with Thea as a therapist. It was something that was started there. But for today, I'm going to focus on the relationship standards because that's what's, you know, relevant to this episode. Um, so we started working on things that I, I knew were important to me and a partner. So things like having open and honest communication. Like if I asked a question, expecting that the person on the other end would either be able to come back with an honest response, like they knew themselves inside out enough to give an honest response or to be able to say, you know, I don't know how to answer that right now. Like, let me get back to you. I'd been deceived so many times that I just really needed somebody who was able to know themselves and have a strong sense of self and be upfront and honest. I wanted somebody who was ambitious and working towards something in life. They had their own unique interests. I'd come from this place of like these really enmeshed and codependent relationships um, where I was kind of like giving up my whole life. They were giving up their whole life and we were just forming this soupy, gross mess where no one was really happy. Um, And so, you know, for me, I I was starting to recognize it's super important for me to have my own interests. And in order for me to feel good about doing that, I also need my, my person to have their own interests so that, you know, it doesn't detract from our relationship that we're each spending our own time doing these own things, but it actually strengthens it. Um, and the, the idea of this, so we're just talking about this in concept. This isn't even happening. We're, I'm not in a relationship at this point. We're just talking about it. But even the idea of this felt really scary to me because I had only ever had relationships where I had done every little thing that the other person wanted. I was terrified of doing my own thing because to me, like, I thought I was kind of a loser. Like, the things that I like to do are solo, like kind of grandma style. Like I like being alone. I like reading. I like, you know, having coffee in the slow morning. I love my work. Um, I love going out in nature. Like I, I looked at myself like, who would want to date that? Like maybe someone would want me to like take care of their cat, but nobody's going to want to date me. Like if these are the things I like to do. 
you know, because I saw, you know, on social media and all like everything that people talk about and get excited about just seemed to be really reflective of this, like the extrovert is the cool kid. That's the person that people want to be around. That's the person that people want to date. That's who Mr. California, that's who uh, the wild card, like that's who these, these guys in my life had, you know, they'd betrayed me for these people. And so it was really, really scary for me to imagine trying to live for myself and trying to cultivate like a relationship with myself and protect time for that when I didn't think that anyone would actually accept, much less desire that in a partner. So in theory, I understood, but it was still really scary to me. Um, So I wasn't really sure how this would work out. And, uh, you know, as I explained to you guys last time, I eventually had to stop working with with Thea. You know, my mental health was improving and I was running out of money to pay for therapy, which is, you know, quite expensive. So we didn't really get too far down this this hole of kind of um, discussing what relationship could look like for me. But I had a start and I had at least cracked the door open on understanding that my self-worth and and being independent, not codependent was important. So what I call this is I got to learn, but I didn't get to integrate. I didn't have time with her to actually integrate these lessons. Um, now I am a bit of a self-development junkie. So, so after I worked with Thea, like I kept reading, I kept taking courses, I kept like looking for things that would help me develop in these areas. Um, but it was all like self-study. I wasn't really getting any coaching or support in these areas. Um, and I was single for about three years. And in those three years, I just, I really, I really just tried to do my best to work on myself and figure out what I liked and what I enjoyed. Um, and, you know, I felt pretty good doing those things. Like, you know, all the things I just spoke to you guys about, like quiet time, reading, um, being in nature, um, you know, meditation and yoga and exercise. Um, these were all things I really enjoyed and I felt good with them when I was single and on my own. Um, and for three years, I didn't date much. I did a little bit of online dating, but I freaking hated it. Like, if, if anyone out there loves online dating, <laughs> I want to meet you because dang, I, it was just, it was not for me. It was so, so, so draining. Um, but my next relationship, which turned out to be my marriage, uh, it, it came after about three years and I was at the gym when we met. I was at the gym where I work. I was coaching a hockey session Um, so I was kind of like in my element, like where I felt confident, where I felt really bold and I was loud. Like I almost had this alter ego that would come out when I was in the gym doing my thing. It was the place where I could be like my biggest, boldest self. And so, um, you know, this guy who we'll call the bobsled boy, truly, I'm sure all of you know who he is or can figure it out pretty easily, but he, um, came out to me when I was in the gym one day 
and I was actually a little bit rude to him. He was kind of like asking me if he could <laughs> if he could uh, use one of the racks that I had set up for the group. And the area was actually reserved for us. And, you know, my intern that was working with me that day was actually off sick. So I was by myself. I was kind of scrambled and I was just like trying to do a lot of things. And he kept kind of coming up and saying, hey, can I use this stuff? And I was like, dude, no, like this stuff is, you know, reserved for us. And like, I didn't really think too much about it, but he was there for probably a week or two. And, you know, he would start conversations here and there. And uh, he's, he was a really nice guy, but I just, I didn't really think that much about it. I had this like thing in my head that had been drilled into me that, you know, if you work in this field, you don't date athletes. You do not date the people there. It just, it, it strips you of your professionalism. So I wasn't even thinking of him that way. It wasn't that I didn't find him attractive. It was just that it had been so drilled in my head not to go there that I didn't even think about going there. Um, so didn't really think much of it. Uh, eventually he started reaching out to me on, uh, Instagram. So he slid in the DMs and, uh, that's where I kind of learned a little bit more about who he was. He was really sweet and kind and thoughtful. Like the messages that he sent me were truly like, they were just, they were really, really nice you know, and I was used to this online dating thing where guys were just so terrible and like really aggressive. And this guy was just sweet, kind, thoughtful. Um, But as I kind of got to know him, I also learned, you know, he was an athlete, he was ambitious and driven, he was funny and he was confident, but not too confident. And he, and he just seemed real and genuine. Um, and I remember being at home, like back at home in Ontario, I went there at the end of the summer to just kind of decompress every year. And I was around my sisters and I was messaging him and they were kind of asking me a little bit about him. And they were like, well, why don't you go on a date with this guy? And I was like, well, cause he's an athlete. Like I don't do that. That's, it's just, you know, and they're like, well, why not? And I thought about it. And I was like, well, why not? Why not? He seems like everything that I want. And so we agreed to have our first date. He uh, came down to Vancouver and like he was up in Whistler. They were doing a team camp there. So he drove down to Vancouver and we had our first date. Um, And I remember the few days before this first date, happened. I went into full blown panic mode. Um, I remember being in the shower and just like my heart beating out of my chest, like I could barely breathe. And I had to like, like almost kneel down on the, on the shower floor because I was so panicked because I had been so hurt before. And just the thought of going on a date with somebody that I could actually genuinely really like, and opening myself up to potential abandonment and rejection again, like it, it, it caused me like so much deep felt hurt and anxiety and just, I, can I go there again? Can I do this again? Um, but I also had felt like I'd learned so much in therapy that, you know, maybe I could do it this time. Maybe, maybe this would be different. This guy seems different. He seems like everything that Thea and I talked about that, you know, I'm looking for 
he seems to have so far. You know, we've been talking for a couple months. Like, I know it's just online, but he seems to have those characteristics. And so we went on this first date and it was just so good. You know, he just, he was everything in person that he presented himself to be. He was so easy for me to be around, so easy to talk to. And our first date turned into multiple dates very, very quickly. And he made so much effort to come to see me. Like he would, he would drive from almost anywhere to just, you know, hang out with me. And we had so much in common, just like we loved being out in nature and going for hikes and doing these things were kind of the things that we ended up doing for a lot of our dates. And it was just like, it was just good. Um, and we both fell really hard and fast. We, we both fell in love really quickly. Um, and I just felt not only love for him, but like also a sense of admiration. Like he just, I looked at him and I was like, I'm, I'm so proud to be dating this person. I just, I, I really like him, um, for who he is. You know, it's not just lust. It's like, I, I just really, really like him for who he is. And that seemed to be very, very mutual. Um, you know, like sometimes you can just tell in the way that somebody is looking at you, like how they feel, you know, just in their eyes. And I could just tell in the way that he looked at me, that he loved me, you know, (laughs) it was just there. And it was the way that I'd always wanted someone to to look at me. And the early stages of our relationship were really, really smooth. Like, it just felt like almost too good to be true sometimes. Like, he just, you know, he would he would text and call just because he was thinking of me. He kept his all of his little promises. He, you know, he was just so thoughtful. He would you know, give me little things, not that I'm a huge gift person, but like just little things to let me know that he'd been thinking of me, Um, you know, and and he wanted me to be his his girlfriend. And it just felt so, so, so perfect. (laughs) Like, oh, maybe this is what, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like, you know, when people say, when you know, you know, and I felt like maybe this is exactly that. Like, what else could it be? And there was, there was a few hiccups here and there, but for the most part, it was so smooth. Um, the biggest hiccup for me was that, you know, he was a really social guy and he wanted me to be with him at every social opportunity. And it was because he was, he was proud to be with me. Um, and I just, I really struggled to communicate my social anxiety. And I talked about this in the mental health episode, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. Um, but you know, it seemed to be okay because he was away competing so often. So because he did bobsled, he was gone from, you know, mostly September to March. He would be back here and there for like, you know, a couple days at a time. But because he was away for so much of that period as we were, you know, just starting to date, I could hide a lot of my social anxiety, right? Like I was alone. And when we were together, I could like muster up the the energy to actually go into those more social situations and I could pull it off. Um, and even though I kind of learned with Thea, like how important it was to be honest, I thought that this was just such a big flaw in who I was that no one would ever understand. Like nobody would ever understand this social anxiety that I had. Um, so I truly thought like this was as good as it could possibly get. And I wasn't even thinking of like, how would I manage this in the long term? but it seemed to work. 
for the right now. Um, and I'd also learned, you know, that we need, we needed to have some separate interests. So the few times that I did think about like, okay, how would this work in the the long term? I, you know, I thought, well, if we're together and he's not competing anymore, like during the summer or, you know, after his bobsled career is done, you know, we both need to have some separate interests. So this pattern of us doing everything social together is probably just because, you know, we don't get to see each other that often. And when we do, he, he wants me to do everything with him. Um, and, uh, you know, there was one other part that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, he was actually living in a van at the time. He loved the outdoors and he loved a really simple life. And I could kind of tell he was a little bit insecure about this, just the way that he spoke about it. It felt like he was defending something and, you know, I could hear it come out when he was talking to others. Um, but I actually love this about him because it, it showed me that he's bold enough to think differently than the rest of the world, um, that he didn't feel like he had to fit in. And that to me was a super attractive quality. Um, you know, our living situations couldn't be more different. He was living in his van, <laughs> loving the outdoors. And I was actually living downtown Vancouver because that's kind of where it had to be for work. Um, and I remember feeling like kind of guilty, like bringing him into the city when it was so clearly outside of his comfort zone. Um, so for, for the most part at the beginning, like we just kind of saw each other in little pockets of time here and there. We didn't have enough time to like really spend weeks or months together. It was mostly like it just special little pockets of time where we would spend you know, 24 seven together. And then he'd be gone and we would just stay in touch via like text and, and FaceTime. And that's how the first like year of our relationship went. And during the first year of our relationship, we, we decided that we, we wanted to get married. Um, for both of us, we were just feeling like it was just so, so right. It, it, it was, it, there's no words. It was just, it felt so good. So, you know, everything that each of us had wanted in a relationship. Um, and we decided that we wanted to get married and uh, there was no proposal. We just agreed. Um, and I really liked the idea of that. It felt like, you know, kind of a weird tradition of men proposing to women. I liked the idea of thinking, you know, we're, we're equals in this. We're making this decision together. Um, and I do remember some little pangs of feeling like I'd missed out on a special moment in life uh, later on. Um, but at that time, I just, I really felt like it was just perfect. It was just perfect. Um, and my family absolutely loved, loved, loved him. They'd been able to meet him. Um, I wasn't able to meet his family yet at this point, but my family loved him and loved him for me. And that felt really good and really validating that the people who knew me best saw in him what I saw in him as well. It gave me confidence. Um, and when he finished his season, so around March, he finished his season and we decided that we were going to move in together. And I remember this being really scary for me, not because I was afraid to live with him. That was actually not what I was afraid of. It was that 
our living situations were so different and he loved the outdoors. He loved nature. He loved living in his van. And truly that looked to be a big part of his identity. Like, you know, when I looked at his Instagram, it was so much about just being in a van. And uh, I was really scared because I knew from my experiences in therapy, like when you give up such a big part of yourself for another person, that things tend to not go well. And I remember asking him, like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And he just, he would look at me and be like, I just want to be closer to you. I just want to be around you. And he seemed so confident in his in his decision that he just, I just trusted it. Um, and I didn't really realize at the time that someone who could seem so confident on the outside may be struggling in a very similar way to what I had been, you know, with self-worth and feeling good about, you know, what do I need for myself? Like not being able to ask those questions. I didn't realize that that could happen in somebody that seemed so outwardly confident. So I just trusted. I just trusted it. Um, and I was really like, I was really trying to understand like how, how would I implement like what I had learned in therapy? Um, you know, if we were going to be living together and he was off season. So, you know, it's not like he was working a, a, a typical full-time job at the beginning. Um, but how, when we were in this small space, you know, Vancouver apartment, not that big, you know, like 600 square feet kind of thing. How am I going to, you know, preserve my own time, my own interests? How is he going to have his own thing? Like it just, it, it started to get really, really confusing um, because all of a sudden we were just, we were together, like a lot, <laughs> like a lot. And most of the time it was absolutely amazing. Um, we didn't really fight. We didn't really argue. Like that wasn't a factor. Um, but the thing that would start to happen is we would just start to kind of like, like just our lives just started to merge a little bit where we were spending so much time together and the things that I wanted to do were solo. I didn't really feel confident in saying like, Hey, I, I, I need solo time. So I just kind of collapsed into doing, you know, sp spending our time together and then going and doing what he wanted to do with his friends. And it just like, it just got a little bit soupy. I don't even know another word for it. It's just our lives just started to feel like they they blended a bit. We were still, it's still on my end anyway, it still felt super happy, um, but it definitely felt a little bit suffocating, like just a little bit suffocating. Um, and around this time, we actually went uh, to visit his family for the first time and we went to let them know that we were planning on getting married. And on this trip, which was absolutely unbelievable, his family was so lovely. Like I absolutely adored them. I remember for the first time, like actually starting to get excited about like this wedding happening. Like we hadn't really gotten engaged. There wasn't really a lot of buildup at this point. We hadn't really started planning, but when we actually told his family, I remember it hitting me really hard that like, oh my gosh, like this is happening. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting married. Um, and when I came home from that trip and, you know, I'd had such a good time meeting his family and they seemed to really like me. Like, I just remember this feeling of, you know, this, 
I had been this little girl who, you know, was so alive and happy and vibrant. And then my life had got so dark for such a long time. And I'd had this image in my head that I was this completely unlovable freak show for so long. And I didn't think that marriage, I didn't think that anybody would want me to that point. And like, it just started hitting me that like, somebody actually wants me. Somebody actually wants to be married to me. And it just was like the most beautiful, amazing feeling. And it kind of cast this like glow over everything else in my life. Um, You know, after that trip, I just remember like feeling so fucking lucky like the luckiest person. And even though there were, you know, we were living together and that there was a lot of time together, it all felt amazing because I just felt like this dream, this impossible dream was coming true. And we started to plan our wedding. Um, You know, initially we had some really big plans of like going to Hawaii and then that got kind of like wholly expensive. So we planned this really beautiful wedding on the West Coast. Um, on the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia. And we got a location. My mom and my sisters came out to BC to shop for a dress with me. And I had this totally surreal day that I never thought I would ever have. I never even let myself dream about because I I never thought I would have. Like my life just seemed kind of dark and doomed. (laughs) And I had this moment of standing in a wedding dress with my sisters and my mom around me and just like, holy fuck, like I'm living, like my life is changing. Like this is, I'm in a fairy tale. Like this is crazy. And it was so beautiful for such a long time. Like I just, I remember like 2019 was just kind of like this glowy time, this glowy, beautiful, loving time. I was so happy. I've never felt happier in a relationship. I've never felt more love for someone. I've never felt more appreciation or admiration or just a desire to like be partners with someone like like that. Um, you know, we had a few little tough times, but for the most part, it was just super, super smooth. Um, right up until... <laughs> right around like February, 2020, um, you know, the, uh, the virus came down. I lost my job. I got fired. Um, and then it started to look like it, not only was I financially unstable, but it started to also look like our wedding wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, with COVID we, initially, I kind of thought, Oh, this is like a one week thing. Oh, maybe two week thing. Oh, okay, maybe a month long thing. And then all of a sudden, like all these big plans that I'd had just seemed to collapse. Um, we had to cancel our, our wedding. We ended up still getting married. We uh, had a very small ceremony. Um, we had five people outdoors. I didn't wear my wedding dress because the plan the whole time was we're going to have the legal portion of this wedding here and now because who knows how long this thing is going to last and we we want to live our lives. And then when this is over, we're going to have the party. We're going to I'm going to wear the dress, we're going to do the vows again, we're going to have our families there. And so I didn't wear my dress because I wanted to keep that for the special, the really special time with our families. 
And we did this small ceremony and it was lovely. Um, and, you know, it was just, I, I can't believe this is happening. I was in, I was in love. Like I was glowing and I, I could not have foreseen what was, what was coming. Um, after we got married, uh, my husband went to work at the airport nearby. He was starting a career path for himself in, uh, in being an airplane pilot. So, you know, you can't be an athlete forever. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of like transferable skills there. So he was being, I thought, like really, really showing phenomenal foresight and just kind of getting his uh, private pilot's license, um, working on his commercial pilot's license. And he was working at the airport, um, you know, working with the bags just to kind of get himself into the industry. And the work was hard. The pay wasn't great. And he was working these long, hard days and just such a different environment that he had been in before. And he was also, you know, back at home in Vancouver. So he was living there with me full time and just, you know, a really different environment than being an athlete and living in a van and, you know, just kind of spending a lot of time outdoors. It was a, probably a huge, massive shock for him to go through. I was also starting my business at the time and I was grinding so hard. Like I was working long days. Even the thought of it just makes me shudder. Um, and we started to get a little bit like of a disconnected feeling. I remember I got a little short tempered and snappy, it, like not really something that I do often except under extreme stress, but I definitely got that way. Um, you know, he was starting to just kind of get like a little bit you know, he's usually so bubbly and upbeat and just a little bit flatter. Um, but I kind of wrote it off as like, this is COVID. Like everybody is struggling. Like everybody's struggling and everybody around us is talking about how they're struggling. So like, it's normal for us to be struggling, even if, even if we're just so soon off the heels of our marriage and, you know, we haven't even really gotten to celebrate that yet. Um, and so that's like the summer was kind of that, like that pattern of we're just kind of in this grind he left to compete in, in September. So he left for his competitive season because it was COVID this time. I wouldn't see him for like most of the year, except for Christmas. So there was a lot of time where we were just apart and, you know, he was in Europe. And if, if you know anything about time zones, like the Europe to North America time zone is not a great or easy one to navigate. And with his schedule and my schedule is really hard to find time, solid Wi-Fi, like, I just, I remember feeling like a little bit more alone than I had before, but I had this like faith in like, we're married now. Like that's something so huge that is unshakable. So like, I was never worried. Um, and I remember, you know, he came home for Christmas and I could tell like, just something was a little bit off. He was quieter. Um, I was trying to spend time with him and well, we were spending time together, but he just seemed to like not be fully present. And a day or two before leaving, he, we were sitting on the couch and I remember like, I remember this conversation like down to the last detail. Um, we're sitting on the couch and he, I remember him telling me that he was not okay, that he was depressed. Um, and he didn't say this in just any casual way. It was from this deeply upset, like deeply, deeply, 
deeply upset place within himself. Um, I'd never seen him get emotional the way that he did during this conversation. And to be quite honest, it scared me uh, deeply. Um, It was clear to me that this wasn't just a passing thought, but likely something that had been going on for quite a while. Um, And he even hinted that he wasn't sure about our marriage. And we'd only, we'd only got married in May and we hadn't even had like a month of bliss, like marital bliss. We hadn't even gone on a honeymoon. We hadn't even really had a marriage to speak of. And the, the tidal wave of shock that ran through my body in going from this place of like, you know, thinking that I'm in this super stable situation for the first time in my life to now my partner isn't okay. And I don't really know what that means because he's not really sure of what that means or how to communicate it. He's not really using a lot of words to express himself. I can just tell that he's very upset and clearly not okay. Um, He's leaving in a few days and I don't know how to help him from over here. Like we've, we've hardly been talking and it's like, it was just, I, I had that instant like jolt of that anxious needy feeling that I'd had back with Mr. California when I didn't, I didn't for one second think that, you know, my husband was, was betraying me or cheating on me like Mr. California had been. However, I, I had that anxious, needy feeling of like, I need to do something, something is wrong. And like, I like fight or flight survival mode kind of feeling. Um, I remember trying to ask him questions to get a little bit more clarity on like, okay, so like, what are you feeling? Like, um, you know, can you explain it a little bit more to me? And he would just get so upset, like just tears and tears and tears and no words. And I didn't know how to process. Like, I didn't know, like, do I need to like get this guy some help? Like, how bad is this? Like, I just had this feeling of like, what the fuck is happening right now? This person I've like hardly ever seen cry except for happy tears is now like uncontrollably sobbing in front of me. And I don't, I don't know how to help. I can't even... I can't even get an any sort of answer or any sort of clarity out of him. And the the hardest thing for me in in this short little time was seeing how he was looking at me because until this point the way that he had looked at me had been like this pure look of love, like just that look of love in someone's eyes and it was like the light had just gone out of his eyes altogether and he wasn't looking at me that way anymore. He was looking at me with these flat, dull eyes, even if he even if he could bring himself to make eye contact. And I was just so scared for him. And I was just so scared for us. And I just, I didn't know what to do. Um, I, I'd seen depression before in my life, you know, with my dad and with my sister. Um, and I, it, that kind of jolted me into like hero mode because, you know, I'd seen them both go through it. I'd seen them both come out of it stronger. Um, And, you know, I thought 
for sure this is a stage, this is a phase, this is a season, this is something that we can work through. You know, this is my husband and I am going to do everything that I possibly can to make sure that he gets what he needs, that he is okay. Um, that's what I need to do. I need to save him. Um, and, I, and, you know, to have that type of heavy, heavy, heavy weight um, come down and then to have to say goodbye, you know, just a day or two later to not know like when you're going to see them next, when you're going to talk to them next. Like I was just in complete shock. Um, after he left, you know, we, we'd talk on the phone because that's, you know, what we, we did and how we stayed in touch. Um, but he did not want to talk about how he was doing at all. Um, whenever we did go there, even a little bit, he would get emotional to the point where, you know, he couldn't even talk. Like he, he'd just be crying and couldn't even talk. And then he eventually refused to talk about it at all because he was, you know, he was there to compete and he didn't want, you know, the heavy emotion draining all of his energy and taking away from his ability to compete. So I was left with this feeling of like, what the fuck is going on? with the person that I love most, I have no idea. And he won't even share anything with me. Um, and in that time, while I was on my own for, you know, about three months, my, I just, I just completely collapsed. My energy for my business just died. You know, I'd built this super successful business and it required a lot of me to keep going. Um, but I, I couldn't. Um, I had no energy for it. I was tormented day and night with complete worry over my husband. I just wanted him to be okay. I just wanted him to let me in and to, to, you know, to, I don't know, something, anything. So I, not only was I struggling to just, you know, keep up on the day to day and communicate with my clients and not let them know that there was anything wrong here. Like I didn't ever want them to feel like I wasn't giving them my best, but you know, it was hard and, you know, I absolutely couldn't muster any additional creativity for my business at all. It was kind of like I was doing the bare minimum. Um, and I was barely taking care of myself. Uh, it just, it's so hard to take care of yourself when you are in that high level of stress, um, and worry. Um, especially when it's not even you going through it. Like when it's me going through something like that, I can control what I do and how I handle it when it's someone else, you know, I can't, I can't force anyone to do anything. I couldn't force him to do anything. So it was this feeling of like, okay, I really, I really want to, to do something about this, to get out of this, this feeling, but I can't because it's somebody else. And it's crazy, but this, this state of being frozen, low energy frozen has lasted pretty much until this past June, July. So it's been, you know, a year and a half to two years of feeling this heavy weight of, of, you know, of just hard emotions. And so let's, uh, let's keep going with it. Um, so when he came back for the summer, um, it was super evident right away that he was in a really hard, hard, hard place. And I wanted to help so badly, um, but it, 
it seemed like I was the last person that he wanted to talk about things with. Um, We have super different styles. Like I'm somebody, if I'm in a place of depression, of, you know, being in a low place, I go into like solving mode. I want to find, you know, podcasts, books, therapists. I want to get out of it. Whereas he processes things much differently in a, in a little bit of a slower pace, um, you know, different methods as we all do, but I didn't really get that. And I was definitely going into the mode of trying to force my way of doing things onto him, which, you know, I was trying to do from a good place in my heart and I didn't, you know, I didn't see that, you know, he could do it a different way. Um, and so I definitely take ownership of that at this point. Um, but it, you know, he would get, we would sit and we'd have these long talks and he would get emotional. Um, and you know, I, I would keep thinking like, okay, maybe something that, you know, that I said that I tried to help, maybe that was helpful. Um, and it seemed like it was everything, but it seemed like I was just pushing him away and it seemed like he was willing and open to take advice or listen to almost anybody else around him except for me. And I actually got pretty hurt by this. Just, you know, he'd tell me, oh, like this, this buddy of mine told me this and this. And I was like, oh, we talked about that like three weeks ago. And, you know, you, you just kind of looked at me with blank eyes and now some other random person told you the same thing. And now all of a sudden it's this like amazing thing. And you know, like my ego, <laughs> I, I see that now, but at, at that time in my life, it was just, it was so hurtful to see that he would accept help from other people. But from me, he just wanted, just seemed like he wanted me to, to leave him alone. Um, and, you know, I'd been on my own for three months and then he comes home and it's like, you just want me to kind of leave you alone. Like that was really hard pill to swallow. And we're kind of, you know, living in 600 square feet of space, 24-7, you know, we, we turned into these shadows that were just kind of passing by each other. I was feeling like I was walking on eggshells around him. And, you know, at the same time, I was working from home. Um, so I'm trying to keep business going and, you know, use Zoom and manage my schedule and, and I spend some kind of time together. And it was the most excruciating time was in this phase of like, there's clearly something wrong. We're clearly not talking about it. Um, and we're clearly trying to just tiptoe around each other. And we tried to come up with some different options. Um, but, you know, it was pretty evident that he wanted to handle this his own way. And eventually um, he made the request of living in his van again um, and not living with me anymore. And, uh, you know, the day that he left to take his van and go live, you know, closer to the airport. So about an hour away, um, I had these huge flashbacks of my dad leaving, of my first boyfriend, the wild card, abandoning me so many times, Mr. California cheating on me. Like, it was like all of these memories just kept flashing and flashing and flashing and now compounding of watching my husband walk out the door and drive away and leave me alone again. Uh, Oh, man. Like, I just, I just dissolved. I just dissolved. Um, I was a a mess. Um, I was so, so, so upset 
um, my days were full of just grief and heaviness. And it was either I was grieving or I felt completely numb. I, I have so, so many memories of just lying on the couch and blankly staring at our engagement photos on the wall and not even seeing the photo. It's almost staring through it. And just hours like that where I couldn't even move. I couldn't do anything. And then I would get myself off the couch to do a Zoom check-in with a client and put on a happy face and just, you know, it was awful. It was so awful. Um, And even though I I would have never been the one to make the decision for us to live apart, I would have done anything for to work through this together um it truly was a relief in some sense because I had some space to be on my own and to not be surrounded by the energy of just like how hard it was um so over that summer we saw each other like once a week we would do these little trips together um and, you know, that was part of our commitment to each other was that we're, we're not going to like completely cut each other out. We're going to spend some quality time together. And that was nice. Um, you know, I think it was hard for me because I was so hopeful every time I saw him that maybe something would be different. And then I could tell like in the first couple moments I'd see him just from the look in his eyes and the forced smile or the 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 hugs or the kisses that were just completely empty. Like my heart would just shatter over again every time because I just wanted that back. I wanted my husband back. I wanted him to look at me like he loved me again. I wanted desperately to be able to help him. Um, And uh, the part that was really hard for me was, um, you know, it was really clear that flying was his priority at that point. He was, you know, studying to get his commercial pilot's license and pass the test and spending a lot of hours in the plane. And, you know, I would kind of ask him, you know, about what he was doing to, to work on his mental health and take care of himself. And it just seemed like he wasn't doing anything, you know, and I was trying really hard not to be judgmental, but at the same time I was in excruciating, pain, wondering how he was doing and hoping he was okay and hoping our marriage was okay. And then, you know, months would go by and it was like, wait, are you even working on this? Like, you know, I'm over, I, I want to be in this with you. And like, in, when September comes, like, you're going to leave again. Like, you're going to go back to compete and I'm going to be on my own again and I'm on my own right now. And like, we only got married in May last year. And like, we, have, we haven't even seen each other. Like, I haven't even, I feel like I haven't even had a marriage. Like, I'm so confused. I was just so, I felt so alone. I felt so confused and alone with all of this. And I just, more than anything, I just wanted to know that he was okay and that he was in it with me that I wasn't on my own trying to fight this fight and figure out how to help him heal and how to help our relationship heal. And it felt like I was. It felt like I was on my own trying to figure it out. And he was just concerned about how to get his pilot's license and how to get to the Olympics. And that is my feeling. Um, there's a lot more to it. He's got his 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 
side is going to be different. And I know he was working hard. And the biggest thing I know about my husband is that he is a good person. And he was just a good person who was in a lot of pain and didn't have tools or support to get through it. Um, But my feeling was that I felt alone and I felt like I was carrying this huge weight by myself. So uh, we did decide to do some couples counseling during that summer while we were apart. So we would get on Zoom calls, you know, and meet with our our therapist together. And uh, one of the things that she helped us do was decide on a timeline for working through some things. Um, So she met with us individually and then she met with us together. And one thing that we decided was that by the end of the summer that I needed to have some kind of answer about whether or not my husband was in this marriage and whether or not he was committed to working on himself or else we needed to separate. Um, that Those were my contingencies was I needed to know that my husband was willing to work on himself and willing to work on our relationship. And it was so huge and scary for me to draw this line in the sand because it was like, you know, the easiest thing for me to do would have been to just let it keep going the way that it was and hope that it worked out. That is my pattern in life. <laughs> and drawing this line on the sa- in the sand was like, you know, saying it could be over. And one of the biggest things for me was that when we were dating and when we got married, he'd said that he w- he wanted to have kids with me. And that was something that I thought I wanted. Um, but he, he said that he wanted that too. Um, and in this phase of life, which I totally, I understand, um, you know, while if you're dealing with a lot of depression, you're just not sure about your own life and what's going on. He was then now in a place where he was unsure about whether or not he'd want to have kids at all. Um, And, you know, I didn't need to have kids that day, but I knew I was going to be on my own for another whole year if he was going away to compete for the Olympics. Um, I knew that you know, I was, I was turning 34. So it's not like I had forever and ever and ever left. And, you know, the biggest thing for me was knowing that I would have the option to have children in my life if, if I wanted to. And I didn't want to just sit on my own for another year and a half and run out of time. So I, I wanted an answer from him about like, you know, can you be in this relationship and can you work on yourself and can you see the potential for for kids and if the answer to any of those things is no those were my conditions and so we took the summer to work through on our own and then also together like these questions um and you know that was a really tough process it was really tough Um, Because there's a big part of us that like, we have these dreams. And when you start really looking into it, it's like, well, do I really want these things? Or is this just what society has shown me is important for an adult in this culture to do? And it was clear that both of us like weren't sure about the kids thing. (laughs) Like we were both going back and forth on it. Um, But by the end of the summer, you know, I at least wanted to know, is there a possibility? And uh, the last month of the summer, so 
I decided that I wanted to move to Victoria from Vancouver. I just wanted a fresh start. I wanted a different environment. I literally could not stand being in this stupid apartment where so much awful stuff, bad energy was. Like I just needed a change. And in the last month of the summer, um, my husband decided to actually come with me. He'd passed his commercial pilot's test. And so he decided to come with me and live in Victoria with me for a month um, before he headed off for the year. And in that month, you know, it was, it was good at times. It was awkward at times. Again, we were kind of living in this tiny space together and I'm trying to run a business from home and be present with him and be supportive and not be too like pushy, but also be caring. Like I was trying to figure out how to like, how to be, um, and I mean, the one thing that we can always say is that like, we always loved each other so deeply. None of, none of what was happening was because we didn't love each other. It was, you know, trying to navigate like a, a mental health crisis, like a true mental health crisis. This wasn't just a little case of depression. This was a true mental health crisis, not knowing how to navigate the, um, preservation of a romantic relationship without it turning into a support person like a caregiver relationship which is what it was turning into was I was the caregiver instead of the like a wife you know a partner um we were trying to navigate this like really difficult territory and it just the romantic side of our relationship was just gone like it was just gone um and it was so obvious that we still loved each other, but it felt like, you know, any sign of intimacy was just like non-existent. It was more forced, like watching your husband seemingly like almost work himself up to just be able to kiss you or hug you or show you these physical signs of affection. Like it just, it's excruciatingly painful. And it, reminded me of the sting of rejection that I'd felt with Mr. California when I, you know, we'd been together so much and we slept in the same bed so much, but like he never made a move on me. Like it just brought back those feelings of just rejection of like, why, what is wrong with me? Like, why, how do I just kill the intimacy in these relationships with these amazing people? Like maybe I am just meant for this. Maybe like, I am just destined to be abandoned and rejected and on my own. And like, even, even though I got married and I thought marriage would provide me this feeling of safety and security and stability, like I didn't even really get any of that. Like none of that came true for me. It was, I had a a few months of us being stressed out in the same place. And then I was alone. Like I've been alone for our entire marriage and I don't even know I didn't even know what was going on with him for most of the time. And I realized that even though we'd said vows, we had very different ideas of how, what it meant to work together through a hard time. It looked really different to both of us. And it just, you know, it was all this like internal dialogue going on. um, But at the same time, we both still loved each other, deeply cared about each other. To the point that when the summer did come to a close and that time 
was coming of like, okay, is he in this or is he not in this? Um, I really wasn't sure how it was going to go. I had no idea. Um, it was a really hard feeling to be like in a position where you're, you don't know about something that's so important to you. Um, and when the summer was coming to a close, uh, my husband actually, he, we were outside, we were looking out at the water and he turned to me and said, you know, I, this has been a really hard, hard time in my life. Um, but I know that I love you and I, I'm, I want to work through this. I want to work on this together and I do, I want to have kids with you someday. And my heart just soared. Like I was in a little bit of shock, but I was so relieved because this whole time, you know, as hard as it was, I knew that there was this beautiful, good person in there that my husband was in there and my husband was going through a hard thing. And like, I'd had that faith deep down the whole time. So hearing him say this, I was like, I knew it. Yes. He's in there. We're going, this is going to be the hardest start to the best, the best journey of our lives. And I felt so good. I had hope again. And as he left to compete, I felt so much better about things. I felt like I could relax for the first time in a while to actually enjoy myself and talk to him about lighter topics again. Like our relationship did start to get a little like better. Like we started to have fun on fun on phone calls again. And, you know, I, it felt like a little bit of that old us was coming back. And I, I still wasn't quite myself again. My energy was still like, you know, up and down. Um, there was a lot of worry still, you know, he was competing and, you know, I just, I wanted to make sure he was in an environment where he was going to be supported, you know, sport and mental health. There's not a lot of really great crossover there. Um, so I just, I wanted him to be okay while he was away. And I wanted to be able to stay in touch with him enough to keep our relationship going. Um, and as the Olympics approached, I got a little worried about how things would be when he came home. Um, the season wasn't really going as well as he'd hoped results wise, and he was being pretty tough on himself. Um, and he was also like dropping some hints that things were not getting better for him mentally. Um, so I was pretty worried, you know, it had been a lot of up and down and, and it felt like he was, you know, acknowledging that there was a lot of down still going on on his end. So the Olympics passed and, you know, I was so proud of how he did at the Olympics. I cheering for him, like supporting him, watching him. I just, I was so proud. Um, but he was pretty down on himself uh, for how they did. He felt that they could have done a lot better. And when he came home after the Olympics, I could tell within a few days that things were um, pretty much back to what they'd been the year before. And I felt deflated. Um, I had some hope that things would improve, that maybe this was just like right after the Olympics, he was kind of in this tough place of just having bigger expectations than what was what transpired. But um, I didn't really know what he needed. And I'd ask him and he didn't know what he needed from me either. 
So it's kind of back to that feeling of like walking on eggshells around somebody and being trapped in this small space with somebody that you love but don't know how to support. And eventually I I remember sitting with him on the couch and I just asked him, like, can you just can you just be honest with me about how you feel? Because I can't take living in this in-between, this limbo anymore. I've lived in this limbo for a year and a half, almost two years now, and I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do. Um, And he told me that he needed to be on his own again. And I lost my fucking mind. (laughs) I did. Um, When he said that, my heart hit the floor because, you know, I put so much time and work into trying to get us to this better place and I thought we were in this better place and then it's just like no you're right back where you were last year and I'd been going through so much alone time so much waiting and as much sympathy as I felt for him going through a really difficult time I wanted to work on it together I wanted to work through it together rather than like my husband just leaving me alone so that he could go off somewhere and heal himself and then come back to me when he's all better. Like that to me is not partnership. That is like, I don't even know what that is, but that's not what partnership means to me. And for me, it it wasn't just like the letting go of a person because I, I feel like I, I really grieved the loss of, you know, him as a person in my life the year before. I hadn't even seen him that much in the last year. So it, it struck me that what I was really grieving with was the idea of marriage, the for better or for worse. Like for me, that vow was so important and this was the worst, right? Like this was the worst time. So shouldn't I stick it out? Like, shouldn't I be here? Because this is like what marriage means to me, but it's clear that my husband doesn't even want me here. So like, what does that mean? And the only thing that I could do was allow myself to be okay with the decision to separate to actually separate not just have him drive off in his van this time but for us to actually separate all of our belongings all of you know all of our stuff all of the dreams all of the hopes like just let that go Um, And in that conversation, all of my emotions exploded forward to that point. I'd only felt grief and numb. And in this conversation, I got, I felt anger. Um, I was, I thought, I thought I was in a fairy tale. Like when we got married, I thought I was in this fairy tale and I literally watched this fairy tale fade before my eyes. And I'd only had a few months of marriage with the person that I loved. And the rest of the time I'd been on my own and confused and emotional without much support. I remember grabbing my wedding dress out of my closet, this beautiful wedding dress that I bought with my sisters and my mom that I was so like in shock that somebody loved me enough that I could buy a wedding dress and get married. And I remember grabbing it out of my closet and throwing it in the garbage and sitting on the ground beside the garbage can and just crying because I had this dress and I will never get to wear it. And this time, I needed the separation to be real for me to actually start 
moving on to start prioritizing myself and not living in a state of paralysis or limbo. I'd spent the last two years grieving and hoping that it would get better. But this time I was like, I just need it gone. I need the photos down. I need I need everything separate. I need to be able to move on and take care of myself. And watching him leave the apartment this time, it almost broke me. Oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> um, because it was almost identical to the night when I was watching my dad walk away. It was almost identical. Um, And I grieved in a way that I had never grieved before. It felt like years of this deep grief, this deep, deep, deep grief for the love that I didn't get, the family I didn't get when I was younger. Like, it just all came forward. And it felt like, you know... Everything was rushing to the surface. All the emotion I hadn't let myself feel before was coming forward now. And I spent months, literally months, just crying and paralyzed. Like every morning, waking up and just sitting on the kitchen floor or lying on the floor of the shower and just crying. I couldn't find motivation for work or exercise or anything. It felt like I was just a shell or a shadow. Um, But... I had an answer. Um, even if it wasn't the one I wanted, I had finality and I felt light at the end of the tunnel because I knew I trusted myself to handle grief and work through it better than I could a non-answer because if I thought that there was a possibility that our marriage could have worked out, I would have stayed, you know, <laughs> because I wanted so badly for the love that I thought was there to be back. Uh, so looking back now, um, looking back at my work, you know, getting fired from a job that I knew I didn't like for a long time, um, looking back at my marriage, you know, ha- literally having to wait until my husband left before I could make the decision that what I was going through, like I, I, I didn't, I could I could have left, you know, I could have put myself first a long time before, but, you know, I was struck by the idea that I was struggling to leave a bad situation. I was so scared of rejection and so scared of the unknown that I had let myself suffer. And I've, gave, I've given up my life for people and situations that weren't even treating me well in return. And this realization was so deep. And that realization was what gave me what I needed to actually begin to heal and move forward. And this is where I'm going to wrap up this episode because I need a fucking tissue. Um, (laughs) But no, actually, this is where I plan to wrap it up. Um, Yeah, this is where I'm going to wrap up this episode. And ah, we will get into the healing soon. We have one more episode to go, though, in the collapse, which is next week we're going to get into the collapse of... um, my spirituality, my faith, um, and 
this episode will probably be a little bit shorter because my relationship isn't quite so long-lived in these realms, but um, that will be our last one in the collapse. Thank goodness. (laughs) Good stuff ahead. Um, So if this episode resonated with you at all, I would so appreciate if you um, like and share this podcast Um, either share it to your stories or, you know, if there's a friend that's going through something that you think this episode may help them, you know, send it directly to them because this show is just about helping people recognize that we are not alone in our suffering and that there are so many opportunities for healing from just about anything. And so if there's someone in your life that could benefit from that, I would so appreciate if you share it with them. All right, guys, I got to (laughs) go. I'm going to go out for coffee with my little sister right now, and it's going to be amazing. And I will catch you next week right back here. I cannot wait. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Mm